Welcome to the Jesus Calling Podcast. Today, we visit with two women with two very different stories to share about how God transformed their lives. Our first guest is Emily Lay, who is a mom, a business owner, and author. Emily found the demands of her job and her own tendency to seek perfection in all that she did was taking away time from what was really important, time with God and with her family. Emily shares how she pared back and started simplifying in order to enjoy what really mattered in her life. My name is Emily Lay, and I'm a mom to three kids. Brady is six, and I have toddler twins, Caroline and Tyler. I'm the creator of The Simplified Planner and also an author of Grace Not Perfection and A Simplified Life. My mom was a teacher, and she was flexible and had the availability to do and be and be involved and was just very present with me. And I wanted that as well in a different way. She made it look easy when I was a kid. It was just my brother and I and my mom and dad have been married now for 40 years. And I remember there was so much routine and structure, flexible, not over the top, but routine and structure that made us feel safe, like we were part of something special, made home feel like a place of rest, something that was really welcoming. And when I became a mom and was a working mom and you know had all these things going on, I remember thinking, my mom made it look so easy to have dinner on the table every night at six o'clock and all of us to sit down and share about our days. Why does it feel so enormous to me? Like it is just such a hard thing to accomplish. And I had many conversations with her where she said, a lot of planning takes place before you sit down at the table. So that may even sound like a mundane thing, you're just eating dinner, but it's so special, especially with children. And um, she's just taught me so many ways to implement strategy and routine and, and rhythm in our daily lives. Just the stuff that makes life happen, they seem so mundane and no one really talks about it. But my mom had a way of preparing ahead of time so that those things happened seamlessly, so that the rest of life, the good stuff, had space to grow and to be meaningful. And since you know becoming a mom myself, I've learned so much from her about just easy ways to make life happen so that we can really enjoy it and we're not constantly running around with our hair on fire, which is something I battle all the time, trying to do so many things. After Grace Not Perfection came out, it was a really, really busy season. My kids were a little bit older. Um, they were involved in a lot of things. Our business was growing. Everything was good. There was just so many things going on. And I felt very inspired to write about what it would mean to pare back and to really um, get back to the good stuff, to what matters. And for me, that was a simplified life. You know, it's so hard when you're a type A person who wants to do everything and you have many interests and you love your family dearly and you love your work dearly and you want to do everything. And we think that we can do all the things and we can do them all well. And what I've really learned and what I learned in the last couple of years is that you can do all the things, but you can't do them all well. And so I got to a place where I had to say, there are multiple commitments in my life and things I care deeply about, but which ones matter the most right now? And how can I create margin in my life, breathing room, space for myself to feel creative, to rest? I was traveling a ton and I just felt very spread thin. And so my husband and I together made the decision to cut back on that and to get back to what we love most, which is 
inside the walls of this house, to be honest. So we really put our family first and said, what falls in line after that? And that looked like making planners for women, equipping them and empowering them with tools to help them organize their lives and make the good stuff happen. And also um, writing these books that I feel like God has called me to write. So I feel like the benefits that came out of that were exponential and almost immediate. Um, there was a lightness for me in my heart that I felt like, okay, here we are. This is what we're committed to. This is the direction we're going in. It felt very focused for me. Um, I felt like my husband and I were both very committed to the same goal again. And, you know, it's funny. I feel like I had to disappoint a lot of people at that point in time. And that's difficult for me as a pleaser. But I, I realized that there were four people inside my home that were just delighted to see that they weren't just going to see tired mom all the time. They were going to see happy mom. And so in pairing back, I feel like I've given the best parts of myself to the people that matter, matter most. I think it's really easy as a woman to fall into the trap that we have to get everything done right away, all the way, at the same time, and constantly feel like we're racing, like we're a hamster in a wheel, that we have to check off the to-do list and do all the things to make everyone happy or life isn't good. And this this concept of good, like what is a good life? I've been thinking about it a lot lately. And I really believe that if we are giving that part of ourselves, the stressed out, overwhelmed part of ourselves to our kids, to our spouses, to our communities, there's something contagious about that. And our entire society starts to feel like we are just drowning in anxiety. And so I started to look at our home. Like how can I calm myself down, calm our routines down. So be flexible, be cool with the, the Legos on the floor all the time, <laughs> the mess. How can I be okay with that, but also implement things in my life to make myself be able to take a deep breath when things really get crazy. And that happens daily, by the way, <laughs> especially with little ones. It happens a lot. So I've just found that I have to pause and Take a deep breath. I mean, it sounds so elementary, but just pausing the chaos, being still for a minute. I love that verse, um, Psalm 4610, be still and know that I'm God. Like calm your mind, calm your heart for a second, literally your heartbeat, calm it down. And remember that this is just a moment. If it's chaotic, it's gonna pass. But what can we do to kind of calm the situation and move on? And so being busy and having a lot going on, uh, even in cutting back and having a more simplified life, there was always a piece for me that was missing. And I always felt maybe there is a box I can check to work faith into my life because I know in my heart that that daily interaction with God is missing. And being the tactical thinker that I am, um, I always thought like, what's, what's that box? And it, what I've learned over the years is there's absolutely no box to check. Um, I didn't grow up in church. I, uh, my family is a very faithful family and faith was very important to us. But what I remember from my grandmother who really taught me God, she would sing hymns. And even though she wasn't necessarily checking those attendance boxes, you know, being at church every, every Sunday, she was 
working her relationship with God into her life by singing in the car and by singing to me. And um, she actually gave me my first devotional and um, told me, this is the way to start your day. So just sitting down, even for a couple of minutes, which a couple of minutes when you have three kids and a business, like might as well be three hours, right? But sitting down for just a couple of minutes in the quiet, being still, quieting your heart and your mind, and spending time with God puts my day in a different framework. It helps me approach my day in a way that is more connected to what matters and less box checking, you know? Um, And so in A Simplified Life, we talk about simplified faith and what that looks like. So how can you have a deeper relationship with God in ways that are easy to work into your daily life that eventually stop becoming like the things I do every day and start just becoming the way you live your life? And for me, it started with sitting down in the morning and having that quiet time and really became that conversation I'm having in my head all day long. And those prayers that are happening as I drop my kids off at school, as I pick them up from the bus stop, um, as I'm making dinner and trying to cultivate this good evening time with my family, um, it's really just become the way you live life, you know? So I've loved reading Jesus Calling in the morning because I love that direct, specific, and short um, reading that really just speaks to things that really matter. Um, life is busy and, um, there's a lot going on. And a lot of times it's just so special to sit down and really find joy and find truth before you start the day. So I thought I would read today's from my copy of Jesus Calling. Every time something thwarts your plans or desires, use that as a reminder to communicate with me. This practice has several benefits. The first is obvious. Talking with me blesses you and strengthens our relationship. Another benefit is that disappointments, instead of dragging you down, are transformed into opportunities for good. This transformation removes the sting from difficult circumstances, making it possible to be joyful in the midst of adversity. Begin by practicing this discipline in all the little disappointments of daily life. It is often these minor setbacks that draw you away from my presence. When you reframe setbacks as opportunities, you find that you gain much more than you have lost. It is only after much training that you can accept major losses in a positive way. But it is possible to attain the perspective of the Apostle Paul who wrote, compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, I consider everything I once treasured to be as insignificant as rubbish. And I just, I love that because as much as I would love to be in control of every little part of life and have it perfectly organized and structured, life happens and we have to be able to roll with it, to be flexible in our plans and to know that these tiny things that are happening, even though some of them may be huge, they're insignificant compared to the way that God loves us, compared to what he has planned for us. Um, I love the idea of starting my day with um, an intentional practice of looking for the good. So looking for, my mom always says, look for the heroes, look for the helpers. So um, the heroes, the helpers, the good, the, um, the truth. I mean, what more joy is there to know that there is truth amongst all the things we can't explain There's so much joy in truth to be found.
Emily's new book, A Simplified Life, Tactical Tools for Intentional Living, lays out the ways we can pare back, much as Emily did, to enjoy the things that really matter. She talks about some of the tactics she employed that helped her take time for the important things in her life. The idea of organizing and simplifying in general can be completely overwhelming, especially if you are really starting for the first time. And I firmly believe that a lack of simplicity is founded in clutter. And so something that I've always said is that physical clutter is mental clutter. So if your home is full of distractions, of extra junk mail and clothes that don't fit anymore and things that take your attention away from the focus of what you should be focusing on, um, it's not just a physical game, it's a mental game. And so what I say to anyone who feels like this is not attainable, I don't even know where to begin because there's so much going on in my life and in my home, it's to take one tiny step. So, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day, but you can start by tackling a closet. I always say to go to the most overwhelming place first and get that confidence under your belt to say, I cleaned out the top shelf of my bedroom closet and look how that makes me feel. You know, not only are you gonna have um, just visually something cleaner and less cluttered, but you are going to get ready in the morning in a different way. When you go in there to pick out your clothes for the day, you're not gonna see all the clothes from five years ago that might not fit quite right anymore. You're not gonna have that self-talk happening in the closet. You're gonna see your three favorite pairs of pants and feel good about those choices. So it's so tactical and it, it almost feels mundane a little bit, like that doesn't really matter, but it does. It has everything to do with our self-confidence. Um, it has to do with our morning routine, for instance. If my kitchen is full of dirty dishes or full of you know, tons and tons of clutter on the counter, my morning doesn't go well, especially with two toddlers. So I try to make sure the night before those kinds of things are cleaned up and packed away. Um, we're prepared for breakfast as best as possible. The fruit's cut up and the plates are laid out and ready to go. And it doesn't happen perfectly, but when I do those things and think a few steps ahead, it makes such a difference, not just in the appearance of my home, but in the way my kids feel when they go to school. And that's why it matters. And things don't always go right. I mean, we have mornings where there's dishes everywhere and everything is a mess and you work through that. Um, but when you try to consistently just keep your home and your life and your mental state in a place of calm where it is a little bit simpler, it really, really makes a huge difference. God gives us that we miss when life isn't simplified enough. When I'm running around with my hair on fire, there are things that I miss. There are moments, especially with my kids, that I can't appreciate when my brain is somewhere else. When I'm constantly worried about what has to get done or this other commitment or what email is showing up in my inbox. Um, so much of life isn't controllable and let's not negate responsibility, but when we pare back the extra, so much stuff starts to grow and to show its face. And um, that has really been the biggest fruit of pairing back and simplifying for me. I, every night now, I try to lay down with each one of my kids to put them to bed and I will sit down, especially with Caroline, 
and um, lay down with her at night, and she's a busybody. She is chatterbox 90 miles an hour all day long, and when she lays down at night, <laughs> she's a lot like her mom. When she lays down at night, she will, she'll look at me, and she plays with my eyebrows every night. I'm not sure why. She plays with my eyebrows, and she just starts to tell me about her day. And the way that she smiles, and the way that her little two-year-old cheeks look, I don't ever want to forget that. And it's, it's a season, like I know all too well, because I have an older, I have a six-year-old, I know how fast it goes. And I know that if I am distracted, I will miss something, and I don't want to miss anything. To find out more about Emily's new book, A Simplified Life, please visit emilylay.com. We'll be right back with the second half of our show after this message from Audible. As a special offering to you, the listeners of the Jesus Calling podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. Find your favorite Sarah Young titles, including Jesus Calling and Jesus Always, in an audiobook version, and get it for free by trying audible.com. Check out a small sample of the Jesus Calling audiobook featured at the end of this podcast. To download an entire free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash Jesus Calling. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash Jesus Calling for your full free audiobook. Now, on to the second half of our show. Next up on the podcast, we have a special guest. Shannon Rosenberg is the daughter of Steve and Donna Rosenberg, who were one of our first guests on the show. They talked about Shannon's long and difficult journey with substance abuse. Her road has not been easy, but Shannon comes on the show today to share about where she is now and how God has been faithful to restore her life, her relationship with her family, and her hope for a new season. My name is Shannon Rosenberg, and I got to experience my parents' podcast um, a few months after it aired, and it was immediately something that really touched me, um, and I wanted to come on the Jesus Calling podcast to be able to tell my story after hearing my parents share our family's story through the podcast. It was a very sentimental experience for me. So many times through treatment experiences, I've had the opportunity to tell my personal story, but hearing it through my parents' eyes um, was just an experience like I've never had before. I was actually in treatment when my parents sent me the typed version of their interview, and as soon as I opened the package, I hadn't been able to speak to them in months in the program that I was in, and we could only communicate through mail. So as soon as I opened and saw one of our few family pictures of all five of us together, it immediately brought tears to my eyes. Um, And reading the title with a family's journey through addiction. And as I began reading, it was almost like reading about somebody else. It was unrecognizable. And it really just kind of, it was like a light that went on that I was just, I was able to really see, to see my parents become empowered in telling our story and gaining support and love from other people as well as helping other people was just an amazing feeling to me. So I just kind of felt lost, I think, growing up a lot of the time. I did have two very loving, supportive parents that were always there for me and 
two older brothers who I did look up to greatly. Um, they're drastically older than me, so I just kind of, being the only girl and the youngest and so far away in age, I just kind of felt a little by myself a lot of the time. I'm really not quite sure what drove them into addiction. As I said, we did have a very good family. We had everything we wanted and needed, um, but unfortunately, they were both struck with that affliction. I think growing up, my parents really didn't know quite what to do for them. Um, back then, I think it was more viewed as like a behavioral problem, and it had such a negative stigma attached that, again, that's why we kept it very secretive and, you know, didn't talk outside of the house about it and would just try and correct the behavior and move on. But as we saw throughout the years, it just continued to get worse and worse for them. And I decided early on that I really didn't want anything to do with that kind of a lifestyle. Um, I saw how much pain it was putting on everybody and how it tore up our family. And I would see the change in my brothers and I knew that wasn't really who they were. So you know, these things that were changing that the way they were and causing all this pain, I instantly resented as a kid and, um, you know, kind of swore that off at a young age and, and wanted to be different and wanted to do something different. I wanted to have, you know, a quote unquote normal family and be able to have friends over and not worry about what was going to happen or, be able to talk freely about, you know, what was going on. But again, that was just something that I think my parents felt reflected off of them as parents, um, which today I understand it did not. They did everything they possibly could, and as many families do, and that doesn't stop addiction from happening. And that's kind of where my relationship with God started being was, just really when I would go to church on Sunday. And then it was like, where's God the rest of the week in my life? And I think that's what created um, a sense of resentment towards God growing up because so much was going on at home that I felt like, why me? Why my family? You know, why is this happening? And And that's kind of, I think, what started making me stray from God. I never had an issue with believing. I definitely believed he was there. I just didn't understand why these things were happening when they were um, growing up. So it created a lot of confusion and a, a very big strain on my relationship with God. I see a change that happened in me upon entering high school. Um, my group of friends started to change. I met a guy that I started dating for the next seven years on and um, it, it really quickly became toxic, abusive, and I felt very lost in that relationship. I felt stuck in that relationship to a point where I didn't know how I was going to get out of it. No matter what would happen, it would just continue to get worse, but I couldn't quite break the cycle, and I couldn't really get honest with my parents. There was just this fear of letting them down or hurting them any more than they already had, you know, giving them more on their plate that they already had. So there was just a lot of living this double life that I would go home and see them and, and, and do the same thing as when I was a kid. I would put on this 
smile and acts like everything was great and they knew they knew that there was something deeper going on they just couldn't quite put their finger on it until my drug problem really started to develop in my early 20s it was because I was experiencing all these problems and when I finally came out with the abuse to my parents they understood to a degree why I was doing the things I was doing but they knew that I needed help and I wasn't going to just stop because the relationship stopped I still had all these problems going on with me so they researched and tried to find you know the best treatment centers they could send me to and that resulted in the next five years of going to treatments and relapsing and moving to a whole new city and rebuilding my whole life and then losing it all over again. I ended up getting in a really bad car accident and was arrested on a warrant that came from something I had done over a year prior that we thought I wasn't getting in trouble for at this point. And when I went to jail, it all kind of came out that I was not doing the right thing. I had been relapsing, um, everything. And so my parents did the best thing they have ever done for me, and that was leave me in jail. They weren't answering my free phone calls even. Um, They didn't come visit me for quite a while. My mom actually never stepped foot into the jail. My dad started coming later on. I stayed in jail over five months, and I really got to a point where I felt like my life was over. It was such a harsh reality because here I was raised by good people in a nice home, in a nice town, and I wasn't being defined anymore by all these people in my life or all these things I had. I mean, it was just literally me and God left at that point. And that's when I finally just broke down. I have never felt more alone in my entire life. That has got to be probably the most traumatic experience over anything else that I've had um, because it got to a point on a phone call with my dad where he said, you know, we can never, we could never save you from this. We will talk to you years down the road, but you're going away for a really long time. And I broke down at that point um, because especially my dad, but my parents have never given up on me. And I understand now that wasn't them giving up on me. That was them saving my life because the more that they continued trying to help, it it was tearing me apart. I had to be left with the consequences of my actions in order for me to truly decide which route do you want to go? Do you really want help? Or are you just doing this to appease everybody else, appease the courts, appease your parents, to keep the car? You know, all these reasons I had gone before to treatment, it was left to nothing. Um, They were not offering me treatment anymore, my parents, because I had that opportunity where, you know, the judge asked, will someone send you to treatment? And I said, no, it's gotten to a point where they have sent me to so many, they are done, you know? And so I actually was able to 
work with the judge in hopes of um, finding somewhere I could go through the state and was sent to a correctional facility type treatment center for a minimum of nine months and went from straight from jail to there. And that ended up being the last time that I had to go to treatment. I think the most influential experience I had in the beginning was in jail, we would have a chaplain come and visit. And I didn't go the first, you know, maybe five or six times that she had came by. I would just stay in my cell. Um, But then one day, and I look at this as this had to have been God nudging me because I don't know what else I could say was making me get up to go down there. And I did. And when I went down to the table, she, the chaplain was passing out these little pieces of square paper. And when I looked at it, I instantly began to cry because it was a copy out of the book of Jesus Calling. And it was on February the 3rd. And I still have this piece of paper today in my Bible because that is the turning point I really saw in my life, that God was with me. And it says on that day, I am with you and for you. You face nothing alone, nothing When you feel anxious, know that you are focusing on the visible world and leaving me out of the picture. The remedy is simple. Fix your eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Verbalize your trust in me, the living one who sees you always. I will get you safely through this day and all your days. But you can find me only in the present. Each day is a precious gift from my Father, How ridiculous to grasp for future gifts when today's is set before you. Receive today's gift gratefully, unwrapping it tenderly and delving it into its depths. As you savor this gift, you find me. And that was like what I needed to hear in that moment. I was really about to just completely give up on myself and on God and my family and everything else. And when I read that, I felt such serenity come over me because here was finally some sort of a sign that God hadn't given up on me. Then that moment, I felt God's presence with me and I didn't feel as alone as I was feeling. And within a week of that time, my mom actually sent me a Jesus Calling into the jail. I would get up and read it in the morning before breakfast at 4 a.m., but then I would read it again around 7 because I knew my parents were up reading those same words on the same pages, and that helped me feel closer to them and understand that All of this wasn't just happening to me. It was happening to them too. So I still have that copy and is just such a significant piece because it it reminds me of where I was not too long ago. Biggest thing I had to do in the beginning was forgive in order to put everything aside and have a new experience. And that's really what Jesus Calling does for me. Every morning, it's part of a a morning meditation that I do, and I read my reading, and I kind of just sit and reflect on it, and that helps me and my relationship with God grow every day. 
I usually come home at the end of my day and reread it so that I can sit there and really feel the connection that God's speaking through those words on the page to me because it's always so on point and pertinent. It's always on point in my life. And that's just more of it saying, I think that, you know, you're exactly where you're supposed to be. Recovery has given me so much back, but the biggest thing that I'm able to do is help others. My life has just continued to go upward since then. Um, I'm going to school to continue helping others, but be able to make it into a profession as well with counseling for addiction and traumas and all sorts of things. And I finally feel like I have a purpose and that I know what I want to do because as far back as I can remember, I did not know what my passions were or what I was good at or what I liked to do. And, And I finally feel like I'm beginning to learn who I am for the first time in my life at 27 years old. I was given such a great opportunity to go work in a treatment center with other people that are struggling with the same thing I was. And it's like I get paid to do something that I absolutely love. And that's when I knew that this is what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. I know that I would never regret going towards this dream. And it's been the most rewarding experience. Um, You know, I have people in my life that don't judge me on my past as far as, you know, where I live. That was a struggle, trying to find someone that would accept me to rent um, apartment, an apartment from them with my background that I have. And it took a lot of tries, but I didn't give up. And finally, at the end of that, there was someone that was willing to give me a chance because they saw that I wasn't the same person that they see on paper. And same with the the job. They gave me a chance. I was upfront and honest with them in the beginning, and they said they were aware and that that's what they do is give people second chances. And it's just so amazing today that I can live and be honest about my past and not hide from it and that people are still willing to give me an opportunity or love me despite what I've done in my past. When I wake up each day, it's still sometimes hard to believe. I kind of have to do a double take, you know, that I'm not in jail and that I get to go to school or I get to go to work. And all these things that I took for granted for so long, I grew such an appreciation and sense of gratitude for after leaving jail. And it's like I'm learning every day more and more about myself and what I am capable of doing. And that's also building my self-esteem that I've had such a problem with since I was a kid and self-worth and understanding that I am capable and I am worthy of doing these things and I'm not going to ever be perfect and I'm okay with that. No matter what I did, God was always there for me. And that was something that I needed in the beginning of turning back to God was understanding that my God 
of my understanding is forgiving is not vengeful you know is caring and supportive and gonna protect me and not the opposites of what I always believed so without God there would be an entire hole in my recovery program I would not be able to stay sober and I see now that that's probably why I never did in the beginning even when I genuinely would try but it wasn't that I didn't believe I just didn't know what that looked like and so it's hard to give everything over to something that I don't even have a true understanding for and today I feel like is he has just become this best friend you know this all protecting person that is always with me through it all things with my parents are better than they have ever been um, I feel like we have finally been able to develop a real parent-daughter relationship. I call them every day and sometimes talk to them for over an hour on the phone each night. And we're constantly texting back and forth and just the love that we share. And I know it's always been there, but we were so torn apart from all this stuff that was going on. And I couldn't be... I felt I could not be honest with them about struggles. And today I can tell them if I'm struggling with something or if there's something going on and I know that they're not going to freak out or, or get really upset or worry about me as we walk through it. And I know that there will probably always be fear um, with everything that we've been through and each time that they had hope in something and then it was let down again and I understand that that will probably always be in the back of their mind but I think they finally see the difference in me opposed to all the other times and that I wanted this this time and that I had to do some really difficult things in order to get to where I am today but it's just the most amazing rewarding experience that I have with them today I truly thank God and stay in gratitude that I was given another opportunity to get things right because I know some people don't get that many chances as I had and that's again what drives me for wanting to reach out and speak to people and not try to hide my story or live in regret and shame and guilt because that isn't going to help me or others. And I need to be able to give back what's been so freely given to me, and that's the message of hope. You can hear Shannon's parents, Donna and Steve Rosenberg, share their story on Episode 2 of the Jesus Calling Podcast at jesuscalling.com slash podcast. Next time on the Jesus Calling Podcast, we speak with father-son writers and teachers Josh and Sean McDowell. As a young man, Josh McDowell considered himself an agnostic. He truly believed that Christianity was worthless. However, when challenged to intellectually examine the claims of Christianity, Josh discovered evidence for the reliability of the Christian faith. His son, Dr. Sean McDowell, is a gifted communicator with a passion for equipping the church, especially young people, to make the case for the Christian faith. Together, they have written a new and expanded version of Josh's groundbreaking book, 
evidence that demands a verdict. It just blew my mind how many people were truly interested in evidence and the truthfulness of their faith. And I got to admit, it was a tremendous joy to this day to help people to come understand why they need to believe or the whys of their belief. Hear more great stories about the impact Jesus Calling is having all over the world. Be sure to subscribe to the Jesus Calling podcast on iTunes. We value your reviews and comments so we can reach even more people with the message of Jesus Calling. And if you have your own story to share, we'd love to hear from you. Visit JesusCalling.com to share your story today.